we, um, we are getting close to the end of this series, Hard Obedience. We uh, have been looking at these different scenes that you can see here portrayed in these pictures and today we find ourselves in the upper right hand corner uh, considering a piece of the story of Joseph and Mary. Uh, before we do that, let's pause for a word of prayer. God, we come to you today and we acknowledge that you are God and that we are not. We recognize that if truth is going to be um, established in our hearts and in our minds, it, it has to come from you. Truth is revealed, it's not discovered. So may you find us willing to, um, to be in that place to engage you. That this time would mark a real encounter with you. And Lord, uh, we do again. We pray for those who are hurting, who are suffering, who have sacrificed all for another. And we honor them before you in prayer together here right now, this morning. And we are asking God, the, the wonder of a life uh, surrendered to you uh, would be realized uh, in each of our lives. And for that, uh, we need your help. And so we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this fall, uh, Mandy and I are marrying off our fourth daughter. Harumph. My littlest princess. And always through the one, two, three, four, uh, hard for a daddy, but we love and train and teach and pray and encourage and support our children so that they will be prepared to enter a much different world than living with mom and dad. And uh, we take great joy in the young men that our daughters have chosen, and certainly our next one as well. One of the things that I've noticed um, at the weddings, not only of my daughters, but of the many that I have done, is that there seems to be a central focus upon the bride. Have you all noticed that? It's, it's kind of like laser focus. Uh, for example, I have never seen anybody say, wow, look at that groom. He said yes to the tux. Man, that fits him so well. Nice color choice, very flattering on his figure. Wow. Oh, look. Look at his hair. Who, who did his hair? Do you guys know who did his hair? It's amazing. Look at his hair. Oh, nobody cares about the groom. 
It's all about the bride. Look at her. She comes in, and we all stand, and woo. I say, wow. And then, oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, she's glowing. Oh, you know, it's just this magical moment, isn't it? And, uh, and yet, it's very fascinating. As we come to the Gospel of Matthew, because this isn't new to just our culture, by the way, this, this focus on the bride. It's, it's been, woo, that's been the way it's been. And we guys, we get it, and we're okay with that, right? I don't have to get my nails done. I'm good with this, okay? It's no problem. And, and she gets the attention. And it was the same in their culture. And yet, Matthew, at the beginning of his gospel, uh, uh, giving us a, a, a vantage point to the life and ministry of Jesus, he focuses on the groom. And we say to ourselves, well, what's the deal? Doesn't he know? It's the bride's thing. It's not the groom's thing. But yet in the book of Matthew, we find him zeroing in on this individual named Joseph. Joseph. And we find the reality that this conversation is, is focused in Matthew upon him and it is in the context of one of these hard obedience moments. And uh, what we find, as Joseph found that day and on many days after this day, that uh, a relationship with God, a relationship with Jesus, begins with an I do, and it is followed up by a lifetime of I wills. With me? Begins with an I do. I believe. And it's followed up with a whole lifetime of I wills. I will, Lord. I will. I'll do what you say. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to I will. I will. I will. And this as we will come to find and have already in our lives, will run us straight into these moments of hard obedience, for it certainly did in Joseph's life. Our conversation today would have been something that would have bounced around in his mind on a regular basis. Also the name of a well-known Christmas carol, What Child Is This? What child is this? We gotta believe and gotta know that that went through his head over and over and over again. And so we jump into verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1 and we'll read to the end of the chapter and we will consider some things we learn about heart obedience from Joseph's life and example. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, 
Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. In first century Jewish culture, which is nothing like ours, by the way, the engagement between a man and a woman took place uh, between daddies. So two fathers, a father of a daughter, father of a son, they would agree that when their children grew up, that they would be husband and wife, and dowries would be given, and these little people, little girl, little boy, typically the boy was a couple of years older, uh, they knew from a very young age that they were engaged to a certain person in their community. In Nazareth, at this time, probably 14 to 16 families, a little bitty town on the side of a hill. And this is where they grew up. Now, as they would get a little bit older and they're nearing the marrying age, they would go into the local synagogue. And in the synagogue, in front of the rabbi, they would say, we, we are planning and wanting and committed to being married. And they would sign uh, a registry. Both of them would sign. And they were what would, the word is betrothed at that point in time to one another. And the only way that a betrothal could be broken is through divorce. A year later, they would then uh, have the, uh, the big marriage feast and celebration. And we see that it was at such an event that Jesus performed his per- first sign or miracle, turning the water into wine. At that festival, at that feast, that celebration, the the betrothed would come together in marriage and consummate their relationship, and then at that point they would be married. So what we are seeing here as the story picks up is that Mary and Joseph were at stage two, they were betrothed to one another. Not yet married, but betrothed. And writing in these These records was very important to keep the genealogical records in line and in track. Joseph had three uh, options available to him in this situation. Uh, His betrothed is expecting. His first option would be to uh, uh, make this incredible big deal 
and you know, demand that she be dragged out in front of everybody and there be this scene and, and all this, rah, think the, uh, the woman about to be stoned for adultery uh, uh, that Jesus encountered. And this, 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 just this horrible shaming and shunning and potentially even stoning of this young woman. Option number two available to him was to quietly just kind of go to the rabbi and say, hey, let's do a little erasing. <laughs> it ain't happening. I'm divorcing her. Divorcing her. No big, no big deal. I'm not going to drag her out in the public square. We're not doing that. Just going to let it go. His third option was to simply uh, say in grace, I will receive you as you are and honor that betrothal that he did have a right to not but he'd do it anyway and marry her anyway and it was custom that a firstborn son would be named after the father and we see this in the story of John the Baptist and he is born Zechariah, his father, couldn't speak yet. And all the neighbors and everybody comes and says, his name's Zacharias. Because all the firstborn sons are named after their fathers unless they aren't the father. Then there's a different name. And everybody would kind of know what the situation was. This was the reality that Joseph found himself. We don't know who told him. We don't know if Mary herself came and, and said, hey, Joseph, you need to know something. It's angel and all this. And, and then we find out in Luke that she, she left for three months to go be with Elizabeth, her cousin. And perhaps uh, you know, it was during that time that Joseph is in this place of consideration, verse 20. What is he considering? Well, what's he going to do? What's the option he's going to go with? Perhaps she came back from that, and maybe, uh, maybe one of Joseph's sisters or aunt or mom said, Hey, man, you need to know she's showing, she's pregnant. I don't know how Joseph knew, how he found out. We know that he did, and we know that he was put in a very, very hard spot, socially speaking. What would he do? How would he handle it? He decided that he would just uh, go with option two, and we're just going to do this quietly and just move on. As he considered that, as he drifted off into sleep, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Joseph, son of David, very important. He is of the lineage of David, as is Mary. Joseph is the legal lineage, establishing Jesus as the Messiah. Mary, the biological lineage from King David, establishing the physical reality that this Jesus is God's Messiah. So important we, we take note of these types of things. Um, we go on, and he, he, uh, he gets this dream. He hears what? Oh, man, it's true. 
This angel told me. And he takes her and he marries her and they do not consummate their, their marriage until after Jesus is born. We find some things here about heart obedience in the life of Joseph. We're going to limit ourselves to the couple. One thing about heart obedience that we see in the story is that it requires extraordinary courage. The potential for shaming and shunning in their community, which was very small and very tight, was very high. That somehow they would be treated as less than the whole family, potentially, particularly, maybe even Jesus himself. They knew Joseph wasn't the daddy. So now we're in this place where he, he, is, he is up against the reality of a, a social rejection. And now let's not you know, just throw, simply throw away the reality of how that news hit him. This lovely young girl that they grew up together in the same town and and he would see you know walking down the street and her on the other side and with her friends and they go oh, there's joseph and they giggle oh there you know you're gonna marry him oh you know oh he had this he had this going on for years and he was so looking forward to to receiving her as his wife and and then his heart is just shattered crushed. He had to face that. He had to face all of it. And he had to, he had to embrace it all in courage, in, in trusting what God had said. This was not an easy ask that God put on Joseph. And this was just the beginning Imagine being charged. Your job, raise the son of God. I thought my kids were hard. That would be a whole different conversation, wouldn't it? it takes courage. A lot of times as God challenges us in his word, challenges us the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the reality is in our life, he is calling us. He's saying, hey, this is the step I want you to take. This is what a conversation you need to have. This is where you need to go. This is how I want you to respond here and here. And, and, he, and all these directions coming at us, and all of a sudden we, we encounter these things called fears. And you say, well, I don't know about that, because if I do that, God, then this might happen. If I, if, I, if I made that decision, if I followed you there, then this could happen, and then that might happen, and then this could happen, and that could happen, and, and, and we just get all locked up with fears. Make no mistake, your enemy and mine, the devil, knows all your fears and insecurities. And he will lean into those over and over and over again. That thing where you are pressed in obedience to God and you look at it and you say, yeah, I'll pass. That thing, that's that fear. It's fear. And what, what we are being asked to do, as Joseph was being asked to do, is to confront it. Confront the fears. Face them. With courage, with the power of God, with the truth of his word, with the love of Jesus, 
confront those fears. Confront the lies that so often fuel those fears. Confront them. You know, the, the lies lead us to bondage. Truth, Jesus said, sets us free. What are the lies that are fueling your fears today? Those lies need to be confronted to, to take the, the gas out of the car of the fears so that when God is inviting and encouraging and challenging and commanding, go, we say, I will. I said I do, now my life's got to be followed up with all the I wills. It's a covenant that I enter into with God through faith in Jesus. Mm. We see another truth about hard obedience. And this, uh, this is so wonderful, and I hope the fullness of it captures your heart today as well. Verse 20, verse 21 at 21, he, he, the angel's telling Joseph, you're going to have, she's going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. It's not going to be Joseph, it's Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And so now, Joseph is being told why this is happening. Now, we don't all get that, do we? But Joseph did. Joseph, you, I, I, want to, I want to tell you why this is happening, why the Holy Spirit enabled her to have a child. I want you to know why. The reason is this, because he is going to come to save people from their sins. This is Jesus' mission. This is what he will be about. This is his plan. This is his purpose. This is why he is clothing himself in humanity. So he is positioned, uniquely positioned, to be able to save people from their sins. Joseph, as you enter into this obedience, this is what I am asking you to do. To continue in this marriage process with Mary and you raise Jesus in your home, I am inviting you into the mission of Jesus. You have a part to play in God's kingdom expansion activities. It is you who will raise him up. It is you who will make sure he has a roof over his head, he has food on his plate. It is you who will lead him after another angel says, go to Egypt, and it is you who will bring him back. It is you who are going to be raising other children in this home. It is you that have the responsibility to establish a God-centered home. This is your job. This is your step of obedience so that you are a part of my mission to save people from their sins. And this is our mission if Jesus is our Savior. We have a part to play. What is, what is the plan to see people saved from their sins? And the calls to obedience in our lives are all connected to the mission. We get to 
be a part of the mission of Jesus to see people saved from their sins. We are not on planet Earth to be comfortable. We are not on planet Earth to be happy. We are not on planet Earth to accumulate a bunch of junk we don't need. We are not on planet Earth to, to please ourselves. We are here on mission. It's a divine mission to see people saved from their sins. Nobody had Joseph's job but Joseph. Nobody has your job but you. No one can be you. No one, no one is shaped by God in, in your design, in your experiences, in your temperaments, in your giftedness, in your spiritual empowerments, just like you. It's you and you alone. And you matter in this plan. Follow me, Jesus said. Where was he going? To save people from their sins. Where's he going? To save people from their sins. Where are you going? If you're following him, to be a part of saving people from their sins. That's why we're here. It's the mission. And our obedience ties into that mission. It allows us the privilege and the opportunity to be a part of something that is eternal in nature and so much bigger than ourselves. Your meaning and purpose isn't created by your own imaginations, my imagination, by all the things this whole world says gives you meaning and purpose. No. It's generated by the one who created us, who sent his son to save us from our sins. I do. So that we could live a lifetime of I wills so that others are saved from their sins. And so, let me encourage you, begin to pray passionately for those you know who are far from God today. Someone in your family, spouse, children, friends, co-workers, neighbors, fellow church attenders. Everywhere we go, there are people who are far from God. Are we praying for them? Do we care? Because you see, as we pray and bring them before the Father, something happens. He changes our hearts. And our hearts change. And then the mission of Jesus becomes ours. And we understand that the mission of Jesus to see others saved from their sins, it, it, it's not just others, it's, it's him, it's her. It's them. I love them. I long for them to know the wonder of having their sins forgiven. And then obedience and invitation to obedience comes into our lives and we are motivated both internally and as part of who we are to respond because we know why God ultimately is asking us to do what he is asking us to do and that is to see people saved from their sins. Wow, got to move on. 
Verse 24, 25, we find the last, last one we'll talk about this morning, about hard obedience. What do we see there? Joseph woke up, as the Lord commanded. He took Mary, his wife, uh, honored her physically. And then when Jesus was born, Joseph named him Jesus. Not Joseph, bar Joseph. He named him Jesus. Hard obedience fully accepts what it cannot fully explain. Are you with me? Hard obedience accepts what it, what it cannot fully explain. Imagine Joseph talking to his buddies. Hey, Joseph, I saw Mary. Mm, what's the deal? Well, I had an angel come talk to me, and the angel said that the Spirit of God came upon her, and now she's expecting a baby. And Joseph's buddies say, yeah, right. That's a good one. I've never heard that one before. Sure. And they follow up. Hey, Joseph, can you? Why don't, you, why don't you explain to me how that works? This, the Spirit of God coming upon Mary and her, you know, expecting a child. Tell me how that works, Joseph. I have no idea how that works. He didn't. And if somebody were to ask me today, well, how in the world did that happen? I have no idea. But I fully accept it. I fully accept it without question. That, that the Spirit of God came upon her and through the power of the Holy Spirit she became pregnant. And Joseph did too. You see, we're going to run into things in hard obedience that put us in a place where we need to fully accept something that we cannot fully explain. And here's, the, here's one of the reasons why. Because if I think I must fully explain, now I put myself at the center of the universe and I say, well, I don't understand that. Get that out of there. I can figure this out. I figure that out. I got this. Well, I don't get that. How does that work? How does that? Well, there's no way that this can be and that can be at the same time. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And my whole view is me in the middle, is the center and every and that is almost like and God must answer to me. I'm setting myself up as in the very first sin in the garden as God. That I am the end all be all of all information. And if we can't get to this place where we understand, hold on, time out. Mm-mm. You're going to be asked to obey in situations and things and places where you just don't get it. And this isn't an invitation to check one's brain at the door. That's not what this is. But it's an invitation to accept the reality that there is one brain who is far superior to yours. His ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. Let's not get stuck with self at the center of the universe. I've seen people just absolutely just 
running around in circles. Oh, well, this can't be. Oh, and they, they get all tangled up and, 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 and can't come to terms with the reality that God is God. And he's just a little bit bigger than me. And no, I can't, I can't figure that out. I can't explain that. How does, a, how does a virgin have a baby? I got no idea. But I accept it. Even though I don't fully understand it. Put it this way. Never let the mysteries of God destroy or derail your experience of God. Don't allow the wonder and the, and, and the magnitude and the mystery of who He is. He could, he could tell us everything and we still wouldn't understand it. it, it don't let the mysteries of who He is and what He does derail your experience of Him. Embrace the mystery. Embrace the tension of unanswered questions. Because then there we experience God in ways like Joseph got to. Pretty remarkable. A life, a life critical as ours is in the mission of Jesus. See, mystery isn't bad. It's just mystery. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. We would expect such things from the one who created all things, wouldn't we? We are the clay. He's the potter. Would we really expect to understand all that's in the mind of the potter? It, it, it's it's, it's uh, an incredible hubris, this outrageous pride that thinks that, that way. No, no, no. God is God and I am not. And there are mysteries. There are mysteries. Joseph was right in the middle of one. And even though he couldn't explain what was going on, he couldn't you know, lay it out for any of his friends or family, this was the reality. And he was told by an angel in a dream, you embrace that reality. And his response, I will, I will, and he did. A man of exceptional character, so much so that he would be described by Matthew as a son of David, which was the moniker given to all the kings who were righteous. They were recognized as sons of David. Isn't that interesting? Mm. A relationship with Jesus begins with an I do, and it is followed by a lifetime of I wills.